Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Welcome to Female Centrics. We are the first and only female hosted fish community podcast. And with uh, this is Donnie B. And with me today, our co host, Biggity Baker. Hey, everybody. How you doing, girl? Doing good. Good, good, good. And although not a female, but he is, gets to come because he's cool. And that's my husband, Jason. Snakey. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> do I ever get to be a co-host? No, probably Yes. Not, right? No, you are a co-host. You were co-host two, week, two, two episodes ago. Yeah, I get it. But I'll be special guest. There you go. Special guest. <laughs> and uh, um, just a reminder, we are part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris offers a variety of podcasts that cover uh, jam bands, indie rock, bluegrass, folk, as well as podcasts devoted to f- other fish um, podcasts and uh, Grateful Dead. And um, there's ones that focus on parenting and cultural top- topics. And um, we, uh, Osiris is also partnered with Jambase. So if you want to check out more podcasts, go to OsirisPod.com. And for all the uh, latest jam band news, go to Jambase.com. So, I'm pretty excited because today uh, we have the one and only Benji Eisen, who is we're going to be interviewing today. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Benji's been on the scene for a long time, and uh, he recently just put out, uh, wrote a book with Billy Kreutzman um, called Deal, and he is now Billy's uh, manager. And for some reason, if you are in some sort of dark hole of sorts, uh, Billy is the one of the original Grateful Dead drummers. Oh my God! So we're very excited about this one today. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we are going to be uh, calling him up in just a moment. But um, I think it's about it for now. We can introduce him. Well, and today we have Benji Eisen. Benji's been uh, published in Rolling Stones, Esquire, and Relics. He wrote a book with the drummer from The Grateful Dead, Billy Kurtzman. He wrote the book with him, Deal. And Benji just got back from speaking at the Fish Studies Academic Conference at the Oregon State University that was put on by the one and only Dr. Stephanie Jenkins, who we have had the pleasure a couple times on Female Centrics. So uh, welcome, Benji. Hi, Don, and hi, everybody. Hey, Benji. Benji. How you doing? Hey, before we get going, I just have to tell you, I really like your style. The captain's hat with the uh, vest. (laughs) I wasn't sure where you were going with that or what you meant, but cool. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I rock a denim vest myself from time to time. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. No big deal. Giant, giant. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, American flag on the back. (laughs) I'm a fan of the vest. I guess I'm invested. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, that's so good. And that's a bad joke without the kids. So good. We've been pulling out the most ridiculous puns about bears tonight, so that that just goes right along with us. Oh, my God. Well, Ben, we have so much to talk to you about. I I feel like I I have like a million questions, so I'm going to try to do my best. My tail's wagging. I'm pretty excited over here. So Literally. She's, <laughs> she's wiggling in her seat. She is. We have to give her a wiggly seat just yeah, for that reason. Really? <laughs> so uh, so I'm going to start out with a question I ask everybody. So uh, what is your fish history? How did you get into this? Uh, I always change it up. A band of clowns, I guess, this one time around. <laughs> uh, well, I think that fish got me into the band of clowns. Um, uh, yes, yes. The band of clowns got me into fish. Uh, it was the very first few notes of you enjoy myself. Um, it was my first time hearing them in a dorm room and it was like the typical, you know, all around a bond. And, uh, and all of a sudden the music was just, you know, what is this? Snapped in my head. And then, uh, you know, I guess I, I uh, felt the winds blow from beyond the mountains of the Berkshires or beyond the Berkshire Mountains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it took me into New Year's Eve 93, which was my first show, which was... Uh, Worcester? Yeah. It, yeah was, nice. it was Worcester. It was... Uh, so they had the, an aquarium set up for the stage. They thought... They, they, they swam down from the ceiling for the New Year's gag. I thought they did that at every show. <laughs> I I was pretty convinced halfway through, not knowing any. I, I knew Junta at that point, and some a picture of Nectar, but I wasn't, you know, uh, very familiar with their catalog. And so I kind of thought that all of their songs must be about being underwater, and that somehow the the entire arena was underwater, but yet there was no water there. Um, <laughs> you know, Sounds about I, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, when the lights went up, I I was a different person. You know, it was. Uh, I think. I guess you could say like Fish did all the heavy lifting and two hits of Liquid Sunshine took care of the rest. You know, but, <laughs> Usually uh, does. Yeah, but but I I am I'm positive that when when the lights went up that night, I don't even think I looked the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, were you into the Dead before that, or did it did it lead you into this one? Like, were you with uh, already hanging out with hippies? Yeah, I I definitely was into the Grateful Dead before then. Uh, I remember at the time. When I first got into fish, I remember explaining to to people or just like even to myself that I uh, I have a lifelong love affair for the Grateful Dead. However, when I got into them, I wasn't a deadhead. I mm. uh, they were my favorite band, but I wasn't a deadhead because I felt as if that the identity of of being a deadhead I felt that that uh, uh, was kind of uh, predated me, and I felt like. It was uh, all the I went to a boarding school and I felt that all like the deadhead prep school hippies were trying like it was it was affected and it wasn't it wasn't like uh, it wasn't current or something. But the band was definitely my favorite band. And so everyone assumed I was a deadhead. And then when uh, the the very second that I heard fish, I I was like, oh, that's why I'm not a deadhead. I'm a fish kid. Yeah. (laughs) So you're like a hippie without a band, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, yeah, it's not one or the other. I mean, I, I don't see a competition between the two, uh, but I, I just, I identify as, as a fish kid. Yeah. No, the same thing happened to me because I, you know, I got to see Jerry twice and then I got it. I started listening to uh, fish around 93. So on my first show, I'm actually coming, my 25th year anniversary is going to be at Mohegan on the 9th. Uh, that first awesome. night there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it was the same thing for me because I, you know, you walk it into it and I felt, 
as much as I was like, you know, wearing the patchwork or wearing the tie dye or whatever at, you know, going to those dead shows, I didn't, I was an outsider still. It wasn't like my thing until I got into fish. And then it was like this, that's where I grew up, you know? That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so, so did you jump on tour right away and just go, did you end up uh, finish? Cause you were at Amherst. Did you end up, um, I'm assuming you graduated, not graduated? Well, no, so no. At the time, I was actually mm-hmm. before before going to to UMass, I was uh, at Simon's Rock College of Bard University, which oh, yeah. I think I believe now they just call it Bard. It's a, or it's a part of Bard. Of Bard. Sure. But um, it was an early admission school. I went straight to there from boarding school, and uh, opposite experiences, of course. Yeah. But um, uh, I forget where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> So New Year's Eve, yeah, New Year's Eve '93. Well, you know, like I said, was my first show, and so that was during a, a winter break. And when I came back to school uh, for the next semester, I immediately got on the fishnet. And this was this was 1994, mm-hmm. January of '94. So the internet was still, uh, a, you know, it was brand new. And the only nobody nobody had it in the dorm rooms. You had to go to the computer lab. Yeah. And uh, oh, it yeah. was in it was in its infancy, but and it wasn't a requirement because we weren't using it for for school. It was sort of just a uh, a benefit of being a student was that you could you could sign up for this brand new thing if you wanted to. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of uh, kids that I didn't hang out with had signed up, but I I was very curious about it because I heard that there is an area on the internet on the internet somewhere where you could go and find out about fish. Was it rec.music? So, it was rec.music.fish. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I signed up for an account uh, just for that purpose. So, yeah, so you're mm-hmm. telling me you love fish so much, you got an email address just so you that- can get involved. Yep. In fact, I'll tell you my uh, I'll tell you my first password because I don't I obviously don't have it anymore. And ironically, this was years before uh, the hood chant came to be. But I I I it was hood. And back then, you could do a four a four letter password. Oh, I was gonna say it's not too short. <laughs> no. No, you could have done two. I think. I mean, there are twenty kids in the entire school that were that were signed up for it. Right. Most of them were were uh, signed up for science, you know, experiments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was the kid in the computer lab in the back that was just like, and and you mean they actually have, you mean the lizards is a part of a bigger narrative, right? <laughs> Wait, that's, what? Yeah, that's awesome. It's like when the tape started coming through. So, what year did you graduate high school? Um, high school would have been ninety three. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay. You're, oh but, yeah, you're right there with me. That's when I graduated but, high school too. <laughs> It, it wasn't graduating because I went to Simon's Rock a year early. Okay. So instead of my senior year, which would I would have been, I, I would have graduated in 94. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you see the Gamehead show at Great Woods? I did see the Gamehead show at Great Woods. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. my lovely wife over here. Her first show was the one right after. Right after it. Right after it. <laughs> well, that leads into the, the the question that I spaced on earlier. Uh, I didn't go right on tour because I went right back to school. But that summer. I went on. I uh, I don't remember offhand how many shows I went to, but it was about a week, a week and a half, and it took me from uh, the Man Music Center in Philadelphia up to Canada to see them at Ottawa in a shopping mall, which was amazing. Oh, what? And, uh, <laughs> oh my god! And uh, it was like, like a Tiffany. Room. No, it was a, it was a banquet room of a hotel 
uh, that was attached to a shopping mall, and I believe it was called the the uh, the Congress Hall, or um, I forget the name of the venue now. But yeah, it was essentially it was like where they usually would have bar mitzvahs and weddings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fish is a great bar mitzvah and wedding band. It turns out, <laughs> right? That's awesome. But yeah, there are 400 people at that one. And then the next one, Jesus. which I'm pretty sure to this day is the smallest show I've ever seen, the most intimate. And then the next day, it was uh, in Montreal. And that was an incredible show. And then it, it snaked its way down to, to two nights of, of Great Woods where, with the Game Hunt show. Wow. Well, and, and um, uh, was it uh, Beanie's oh, first show? I don't know. Yeah, Worcester, right before that. Probably. No, not Worcester. But uh, I wonder how tour is going to. Old Orchard Beach. Oh yeah, up in Maine. But uh, how, how I, does tour go? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does but tour I, go? Sorry. But I will say that I remember. I distinctly remember leaving the game end show, and I remember that there was um, some lot kid selling game end bumper stickers, which it was obviously his lucky day. Yeah. But there was uh, so, two people walking by, leaving like going to their car. So they had, they had just saw what we saw. They went to the show. They looked at the bumper sticker and uh, and the one guy looks at the other and goes, "What what's Gamehenge?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because for a long time I was like, "Oh, I missed out on Game Hedge. I missed out on Game Hedge." But honestly, like the second night of that Great Woods was like Fish's greatest hits, and so it was like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any freaking clue what was going on you know, the night before a game hedge because I got Susie Greenberg, I got Mound, I got, you know, there was all these, you know, all the songs that I had already heard off of, you know, well, besides Susie Greenberg, but I mean, just can't be exciting, you know, that's just exciting period, you know. The, the irony yeah. now is that you have a game hedge license plate. I do have a game hedge license plate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Someday, someday. So then obviously you went out to the, the Amherst shows, you saw the hot dog and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen, yeah. I've seen a lot of shows. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So you went on. So I, you know, I, I, you know, we listened to you under scales and I've, you know, read some of your articles and, and whatnot. So did you do the full summer of 96 tour? I did not. I don't think I did any complete tour other than runs. I don't think I've ever done a complete tour start to finish without missing some. I usually would hop on for about uh, two weeks, which is in line with what I, with, the way I look at it now and that I, I think um, I have it down to a science and that about between 10 to 12 shows a year is my, is my, um, if spot. I, if I do 10 to 12 shows a year, it, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can say that better. It, it's just, it's like kind of, that's my, I need that though to be happy. That's my minimum <laughs> you know? that yeah. I need. To yeah. Be yeah. Happy right there. <laughs> Definitely. So I want you to tell us about um, the Harry Hood chant, because I know that you shared this on the scales, but not everybody uh, might have heard it. And I don't care because I want you to tell us anyway, <laughs> because to this day, I held on to that freaking paper. And I swear to God, it is in whatever box is my Doniac devices because I cannot find the box. I'm a wicked hoarder. I save everything. Well, and I think you gave me one of those papers. I'm so glad you have one of those papers because I would I, love to see I it. I don't I, have it. That's what I'm saying. I lost it. I'm hoping you had it. <laughs> but so the, the papers were, uh, and this became a, a little bit of uh, not controversy, but like um, uh, it, it was just up for debate. And that and that this Darius Zelker from the from the Fishnet, he's the one that printed up the flyers and distributed them. 
And so you can blame the hood chant on him. <laughs> but ah. uh, I came up with the chant by quite. I was, it's funny. I was. I just told this story up at uh, up at Oregon State. But um, I was driving around uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. in school. And when I was driving around, it 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 meant that I was always had fish on. Uh, it was uh, it was a problem. I, I couldn't listen to another band for more than a minute before I was like, this is cool, but I could be listening to fish, you know? And so I was driving around, uh, just being goofy and saying things out loud, especially like James Brown, when, uh, you know, whenever there's a downbeat in any song, I would go, you know, uh, if I was by myself and didn't want to annoy anybody. Um, (laughs) but then I, I would amuse myself with things like that. Or I would just, I imagine as everybody does, you know, like from scat singing to like adding things into songs that aren't there whenever you're driving around alone, you know, if you're in like a, a a great mood and whatever. I like to and do it so, when people are there. Is what? I said I like to do it when people are there. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about being annoying. Fair enough. I mean, I I think my friends would argue that I that I'm I don't either. <laughs> but uh, I was at a, I remember it very vividly because I was at sort of this intersection right right before the main street in Northampton, and uh, Hood came on, and on that downbeat after they said Harry, I went to say Huh. And that I, you know, in mid pronunciation, I realized that you could go hood. And I thought it was really funny because I was just, you know, in a great mood and, and laughing and, and by myself and all that. And I thought it was, I, you know, I, I told it to my best friend, Matt McGuire, that night. He thought it was funny. End of story, you know, mm-hmm. and we probably would have forgotten about it in another few weeks had I not gotten on. I went at that point. I had to get online. I went to an internet cafe, <laughs> and uh, and I remember being at this internet cafe, and 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 um, Darius Zelter, sure enough, said, you know, gave the, his uh, a plea for if anybody had uh, ideas to prank the band. One of the ideas I think was for divided sky during the pause. Everybody was going to turn around, turn their backs to the stage, and uh-huh. look up at the rocks. Things that you know, if if done correctly, would make the band either confused, angry, or, or, you know, like doubling wow. everyone after because they realized that the audience just pranked them. We're tricking them. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it, that, that was the humor in it that I loved the most was that the band loves to prank each other as well as the fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's never a prank at our expense is always like, even if, you know, when they prank us, it's sort of like we're, we're we involved. Fa- yeah, we're we, we're involved, and the fact that we get the joke means that we're you know we approve. It's funny. Yeah, it's uh, the humor element of fish can't be understated, and so I love that, and I thought it'd be really funny if I said my my hood piece because I imagined everyone there yelling hood and the band being like, "What the fuck just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I happened to I was I was at those Red Rock shows, and I was probably in about the sixth row during the show where they played Hood. Uh-huh. And I was nervous because not all the other ideas worked. And for when when they went into Hood, one, I, I had been doing it in my car at that point for, for months. And so it wasn't new to me, but the idea of anybody else doing it was really amusing, you know, and, and the potential <laughs> impact that it would have on the band for, with them not expecting it at all. You're yeah. like the conductor. And, um, <laughs> when they went into it, I looked around and the entire place did it and it was a surreal feeling because it was sort of like, well, this was just me being high, having a funny idea, you know, that was funny once, but it it worked and it was really funny. And I think that everyone really enjoyed it. I think the band got a kick out of it, cut to Alpine Valley, 
a few days later. Yep. And they play Harry Hood, and a significant portion of the audience sang along or did the did the hood part. And I just remember thinking, oh no. <laughs> What did I do? Right. And uh, for a while, I got, I got hate mail. I got what? No way. Yeah, I mean, people really hated it, and and I I didn't respond because I wasn't gonna defend it. But I mean, the my intention was always just to prank the band because that's funny, and it, and and it worked. Yeah, and fuck it yeah. Stuck. The hood chance staying around. Never my intention. I don't. Uh, I don't think you, I I don't. I'm not a, necessarily a fan of the chant anymore. However, that being said. Even from the very beginning, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it being done after the first time. However, there is something in the back of my head that goes, it, it's kind of weird to look at being in an arena and look around and realize that everybody's doing your own little inside joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, which is funny. But once the, uh, but I did feel like I ruined uh, uh, one of my favorite fish songs. And then once everybody started wooing, I was yeah. so happy. Right. I was like off the hook. I was going to yeah, say, right? you must have felt so awesome when people yeah. started wooing. <laughs> I would, and I was going to say, at least it wasn't a woo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. No, well, I remember that very well. So, I mean, you know, I was 20. I did the full summer 96 tour and we snuck into all the shows. So I was behind on that hill. Behind, yep. uh, behind, and I remember getting the papers, and like I said, I'm a hoarder, so I don't know what the hell it went. It's got to be like jammed in my mom's attic somewhere with the donation devices, because for you, some reason those are missing too. Uh, um, do you remember any of the other prints that were on that paper? The only one that I can remember is the divided sky one, because I, I thought that yeah. was cool. Mm-hmm. I do remember the divided sky one now that you now that you say it, but I don't. I don't remember the other ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think it worked, but of course I I don't remember for sure because I turned I turned my back around. So. And I was looking up the rocks, but I, I don't think it, it it worked. And if it did, it didn't have the impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a paper distributed that had a list of pranks on it, and then it was yeah. up to yes. whoever it to do them or not. The, mm-hmm. the early social media, you know, was uh, yeah. notes hands the to each other. Yeah. And- yeah. Now, now of course, it just would be a Facebook event page or it'd be something that circulated on the internet, but. But it was actually Darius Elker from from Fish.net. He actually printed up all of these. Uh, you know, he printed up I don't know how many, but but uh, a lot of them because I just remember seeing them everywhere. Yeah. And uh, handing them out to everybody. And the idea was any number of these things. You know, I, I think it was the idea was do all of these. Let's really prank the band during these four nights at Red Rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Were you now? Were you involved in uh, in down in the shenanigans down in? Uh down in the town or where where were you staying because we stayed at the point of geological interest down at the uh at the rest stop at the top of the street so i stayed at it was called camp fish it's really funny to look back on this now because it's like um if only i knew what i would think of it, you know right back then. but but i uh we stayed at this place called uh it was called camp fish it was obviously a, a pop-up but it was in morrison very very close to red rocks mm-hmm. and um so it was part of the the taker of the town that i think led to fish not being invited back yeah but, <laughs> campground wasn't in the, but the campground though was uh when you're on the campground site it was fine it was it was like i believe it was a rodeo ground or a racetrack it was uh like a flat little track at the base of a foothill 
uh, that was removed from everything. You had a, it was a, it was a nice little hike to town, mm-hmm. and um, it was you know I liked the fact that it was tall camp fish. I was I was young and bright eyed and bushy tailed. Sure, and loved everything about it. And I remember like leading to these surreal adventures, like taking a hike up one of the foothills, and at the top where I didn't see another person for you know I, you could look down and see the campground, and you could look down and see the, the town, and yet there was uh, the oddest thing ever. It was uh, a vendor just by herself selling manual lassies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never, I'll never forget it because that was that was before I started pre gaming for the show. Right? <laughs> Did you buy one? I, I had to. Yeah. yeah, it was freaking delicious. I bet. Yeah, it was absolutely delicious. <laughs> yeah, we didn't sell anything that first tour. The summer '97, we sold. Um, we called them Guadalupe style bean burritos, and we had a song, and there was a big hat involved. But it was a sauce that was this Guadalupe bean <laughs> sauce, and they were not good burritos. But man, they sold fast. They were yeah, like two that's... bucks each. We kept well, them in a backpack and brought them into the show with us. <laughs> I don't know how we I, did it. I had uh, I had my own trial trial and error with uh, things that I would sell on the lot because I started with veggie burritos, mm-hmm. and then I experimented, and some experiments went well, and some some didn't. Uh, yes. A bunch of friends of mine and I sold pizza dias, which were a big hit. That wasn't my idea, but it was my idea to sell fluffernutters after a show. Oh, and nice. little realize that when you're leaving your show and you're all dehydrated, and then you're trying to sell something that Worst was uh, marshmallow, yeah, <laughs> peanut butter and marshmallow between two slices of bread. It's uh, you know, I, I mean, I I went and bought one for myself. Yeah, you know, it's freaking Wonder Bread too. <laughs> I bought it to chuck at someone. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> well, I have to say, so you had an article that you wrote called Fish, the Undefeated Season, um, and I believe it was in Relics, and there was quite a few um, uh, uh, quotes that I kind of pulled from this, and just to tie in kind of what we were talking about, there was two quotes that I really uh, liked, and actually one you kind of uh, you mentioned already, but you, ha- you wrote, um, you didn't just become a fan of the band, you became a player on the team. And I think that that was like kind of what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, sort of being an outsider as a younger person coming into the Grateful Dead scene. But, you know, when we walked onto Fishlot, like we're like, ah, like this is it. And like the, the piece that you wrote about, we're laughing, too, because as a, a as powerful as their music was, it was all framed as some sort of prank that you couldn't quite put your finger on. It was like being on some like in on some inside joke or something, you know. I really liked those those pieces of your so, article. Well, the, the second quote uh, <laughs> rings true, but the first one I don't ever I don't remember that at all. But but <laughs> I, I don't feel like you're a player on a team because you know like it's fish is our team and we're all you know it's not a um, competitive sport by any means, but Mm-mm. it's a sport where we all win unless mm-hmm. you're tarpon. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so um, what led you into writing, and what would you say was your first break? Well, I I think that as as long as I can remember, I always was, you know, I was always writing, I was writing stories. And I think what I remember most was being in middle school and writing stories that started off with uh, actual, you know, I was trying to recap being being at a party or like maybe the first time I ever kissed a girl or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly turned them into fiction as, you know, on purpose as a, as a writing exercise. And I would, I would write these stories that were ba- the characters are real and they're based on my friends but then the actual uh events were were fictionalized gonzo and f- you know f- 
pure fantasy and and i would circulate them in school i would hand them out to my friends to read just for (laughs) to see if they enjoyed it and you know maybe make them laugh or whatever Mm -hmm. and i never intended i never intended to write about music but i was so into music you know i was saved by rock and roll and uh, especially once I got into Fish, it, getting on Fish.net, it was in Rec.Music.Fish. It was uh, writing was the only way of communicating about it because there was it was on the internet and it was you know, it was my my kind of a social circle. And all in order back then, you couldn't download shows. You know, obviously after after them, it it was a long process. It we could had to wait. Weeks. It could take months, and and you really had to put effort into it. And there's also that gamble of, do you want really, you, you know, you, if you're going to have to put effort into something and go downtown to the store, buy blank tapes, go to the post office, buy, uh, you know, an envelope, put it in there with another envelope with return postage, mm-hmm. find somebody who's willing to tape it for you and send it back. If you're going to go through all that time, you, you know, it's a gamble if you don't know what, what you're getting. And so people would review all the shows online. Partly just to review the shows, but also for for tape traders, so that you would know, hey, I really want to get this show, or this show might not be worth it, mm. or this set might not be worth it. And I would uh, have my little tape trading network friends, and we all would send each other the list of what we had, you know, what shows we had, and um, and I would go through it and mark it for if I'm going to send, you know, Dean Budnick five five blanks in postage. I want to, and he has hundreds and hundreds of shows. I want to be able to pick the five based on what I read on, online, and so I started contributing to that, <clears throat> just writing reviews. Uh, for a while, I was focusing on the song "Bathtub Jim," and uh, why why "Bathtub Jim"? Because the other ones had been taken. Um, Charlie Dirksen ah. wrote about Tweezer, and, and and it was he was very influential in, in the way that I approached writing about about the song, in that you know you. I, I don't come from a, uh, a music theory background, and uh, I, I so the only way I know of how to describe a jam isn't by they do a key change, or you know I, I can't get too technical. Instead, I, I like to use metaphor. And well, that's what, what Char- was his was, name again? Charlie what? Charlie Dirksen. Dirksen's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and there there are others too. Sure. Uh, and I mean, it seemed like everybody had their their own little their own little song. So I just started doing bathtub bathtub gin. I also believe that um, it, the on the fish.net it was the Mockingbird Foundation was was first being kind of coming together and being organized. And I remember just saying that I you know they they kind of gave me bathtub gin as uh, as a concentration. Or maybe I, I might be remembering it wrong, but but somewhere other it ended, it ended up with bathtub gin. And I had these little like vocabulary that um, that I even built for it. That was like water from the faucet was like when the jam began, because um, mm. I map mapping them out and timing them, which was an odd thing looking back on on it. But timing the jams, you get to, you see how like the, it, the bathtub gin has very little variation if until you- it does. You know, and so water from the faucet was kind of the indicator that that now they're going to turn on the hose or turn on the bathtub, and up until then it was they were in type one. That's very interesting. So you're saying the first uh, iterations of you know talking about fish online was you'd give your reviews so you know which tapes you might want to get from someone who taped it. it. That wasn't the be all end all. It was also so that it was it was for um, it was it was to replace instant audio. You know, because now if you want to well, know if a show's good, you just start listening to it. Well, right, right. And, but I mean, and, it didn't exist. And so, yet, so you could... 
yeah. It was before. So, Go, sorry. Well, no, just, just that, so like, you know, I, there was the curiosity element first and foremost, I think, in that I remember being at the computer lab burning the midnight oil, knowing that they were playing halfway across the country and hoping that somebody just in that- Just waiting event, for a yep, review? Or, and a set list. So you kind of have to trust the person that's posting it at the same yep, time. Exactly right, which is why there was a lot of debate, uh, and there are also there was misinformation during those years. Mm. Um, you know, that's I think that that's man. kind of one of the things that the fishnet did so so great early on was was by having a board and by having multiple members and people kind of in charge of you know teases. Because I remember, I remember when I would hear a tape after that I would get because I saw the, I, I read the review and the review loved it, or else uh, it was on fish.net somewhere. And, uh, you know, I, I, and the set list was certainly posted online. And I remember, you know, I would get those tapes and I'd hear a tease of something or a jam of something and it wasn't listed. It would drive me nuts because I'd be like, well, that should be up there. That should be on there. It's ah. totally, you know, and so I think they've done an amazing job now of curating a, a fat based uh, universe. So, so when it comes to the, to bathtub gym, so I believe, I, I find that the early bathtub gins that like very page heavy, very like the beginning of them. And when you say like, you know, type one, type two, like those jams, can you explain, um, can you explain what you're talking about when you say like the type one, type two, um, jams? Sure, I feel cool. like I know what you're talking about, but like, I hear everybody talking about that. And I mean, someone who's been listening for as long as I am, and yes, I run a freaking podcast, but I'm like, what the hell is a type one, type two? Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, type one generally just refers to when uh, a song is type one. I, I actually used it incorrectly because I was talking about the song form. Mm -hmm. Type one jam mm -hmm. is a jam in which they are improvising, but they're not leaving the song form at all. Okay. So basically, most bands that that even bands that call themselves jam bands, yeah. the majority of bands when they jam is type one because the the band is following a set path and so a composition, like an ABA but, sort of format of sorts. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's like maybe they extend the song an extra you know number of measures so that the guitar player can add you know can continue soloing or maybe they even hand off solos mm -hmm. but handing off solos uh is is still type one because you're in the form of the song mm -hmm. the 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 actual composition hasn't changed okay. type two is when you're spontaneously composing with three other guys or however many other people are in the band and that is you know obviously a, a tremendously difficult skill that requires a lot of listening and, and whatnot but as as fans that's the part where you know, I guess you could say the song blasts off. Yes, where, yes you know yes. It, it achieves liftoff. And and if you were to walk into the arena at that moment, and you you wouldn't know what song they were in, no matter how well you knew fish necessarily, you know, because mm. they're actually improvising the the chord changes or the tempo or you know whatever it is. It's gone so far away from the song that a computer program would no longer recognize the pattern. What song is this again? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's like jam night of like the the um, donut. <laughs> yeah, that was, the first, that was the first type two sample in a jar. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, so. All right, so I want you to tell us about the process that led you to writing Billy's book. Like, how did you get into that? Because uh, that's some pretty intense, uh, you know, the next step as far as as far as uh, you know, life is concerned. Like, how'd you get in with the cool kids? <laughs> yeah, um, it was uh, in my mind, it was a slow process, but it, sure. it was kind of effortless in that. 
you know, I don't think that I, I didn't look up on my to-do list and say, write Bill Kreutzmann's book. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 What led you into that? Resolutions or, or things like that. But it was, it was very organic. But I, I was writing for Rolling Stone and I went on Jam Cruise, uh, which Cloud Night Adventures does. And I, I've gone on Jam Cruise a, a lot. Usually it, in, in, in the very beginning, it was for Relics Magazine. It had, it's been for a number of publications. It was for AOL Music at one point where, you know, I was covering it for them. As an excuse to go on the boat because it is such an incredible festival at sea. And one year it was, uh, you know, Bill Kreutzmann was was playing with Seven Walkers, and um, I, I'm trying to think. There are two. Rolling Stone sent me to specifically interview two people, and one of them was was Bill Kreutzmann. I want to say the other was um, was John Oates, but I might be wrong about the year for that. But like Hollow Notes. Oh, yes. Oh, cool. But, nice. um, and oh, no, maybe it was also Taylor Hicks from, from American Idol. Oh, Regardless, no shit. <laughs> two people that Rolling Stone were, you know, that they were interested in having me cover. Yeah. Bill Kreutzman was the, was the number one priority. And you're on the boat for five days. And, and basically, five days, my only job is to make sure that, that this half hour sit down with Bill Kreutzman happens. Gotcha. You know, and I uh, I sat down with him. We uh, he had seven walkers that night. We had a pretty um, a, a pretty insane. It wasn't just the interview. We ended up hanging out and and really got along and headed mm-hmm. off. But he said something controversial uh, on on record in my interview with him, and that was that he he hadn't said this before, and that was that he felt that after 1995, had Jerry Garcia not died, that there was going to be a hiatus, a hiatus, if not a full-on breakup, that ah. Garcia was no longer happy. It wasn't sustainable. If you remember the summer of 95 or even read about the summer of 95, there were a lot of mishaps. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the, 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 the Deer Creek gate crash years. Yep. People were died because of the platform and a campground collapsed. It was just, it was cursed. Yeah. And I think that it was a, it was a reflection of everything that was happening on all sides of of, of, of that universe. And I, I, I just think that, you know, the way that Billy describes it is Garcia wasn't happy. Something had to give. And he was already planning to do – they had a fall tour plan, but Garcia was already planning stuff for the next, you know, year or two mapping out with the Jerry Garcia band. And, uh, you know, who's to say what would have happened because no decisions were made. Garcia certainly didn't vocalize that, you know, he wanted one specific thing. It just – that was the feeling Billy got. And he told it to me, and he never really opened up like that before about it. And I, I uh, was very faithful to the words that he said. I was very careful to make sure that I, I didn't misrepresent. And after the interview came out, uh, he got word. He got word back to me that he uh, thought that it was the best article that anyone had ever written about him oh, because wow. I captured the spirit. Then I found out, uh, and it also did well for Rolling Stone because all the deadheads were up in arms about it. <laughs> you know, ha, of course, he was going to do that. How, how dare you say that? You know. Um, yeah. Either that or else, you know, there are a few like, I told you so, or I knew it, or, you know, whatever it was. But got people talking. And then um, my publisher told me that in the Wall Street Journal, there was a little blurb that said, Bill Droidsman from the Grateful Dead signed a book deal with St. Martin's. And my editor said, hey, since you seem to hit it off with him and everyone really loved that article, do you want to see if you can do an interview with him where you can find out what he's going to put in the book? No, no, I don't. I'll I'll do that. And uh, I was reaching out to him, and, and I hadn't heard back yet. Meanwhile, I went to see Roger Waters' The Wall, and afterwards I was at a party with all my friends, and a mutual friend of, of Billy's and mine 
uh, said, you know, hey, Billy has a book deal now. And I said, I, I actually heard about that. Maybe you can help me get in touch with him. I, I want to get a quote about about the book. And he said, well, actually, I think he's looking for a writer. You know, and I was shocked because wow. with the book published in the Wall Street Journal, you expect that all of that's already, you know, a done deal. Yeah. And uh, I, I excused myself from the party. I drove an hour and a half home and I sat down in front of my laptop and I decided I was going to just write a letter uh, to Billy, but I wasn't quite sure. I, I knew what the point of it was. The point of it was that I, I wanted to write that book. Yeah. The the letter itself, I, I, I you know, luckily I didn't stop to think about what I what was I gonna. I just let my fingers type. Manifest. And I, yeah, and I ended up sending him a, a three page letter about what I wanted to read in the book. You know, as a fan about what was what and what I didn't want to read in the book. I remember using uh, Red Rocks as an example because I I was trying to illustrate the point that. If you lived, you know, all 50 years of the Grateful Dead's career, plus, you know, you know, if you, if your whole life, every single day, you know, as a as the figure that he is, that there are so many, there must be hundreds of shows that he, you know, had a negative experience about for whatever reason, or you know, a show that he didn't really want to want to show up. He got in a fight with his wife, or you know, whatever it was, or or he just flat out doesn't remember. And I conveyed in the letter that uh, it definitely wasn't the key point. It was a side note, but I, rem- I, um, I just remember saying, look, if you talk about, you know, all these dates like Red Rocks that you did and, and you're, you're dismissive of any, of anything, you have to understand that there's somebody that's going to be reading this book that proposed marriage to their wife or their husband that night yeah. or, or met their significant other that night or, you know, and that your life has, uh, your life story is all yours and you should own it and it should be nobody else's, but you have to understand that your life story is, is, uh, represents sacred moments for every, for, you know, a nation of deadheads. Fucking and brilliant. I, Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Brandon. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, 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 that, that led right into the book. No questions asked essentially. Angie, uh, <laughs> can I ask you, is that the first book? essentially instead of article that you have had published or have you done more it, than that? It was my first book. I, w- I had been working on a, a book for years, which I still am working on. And I just recently picked up more steam on called Oysterland. Yes. Not, not to, not to be confused with Oysterhead. Um, no so relation. It's not about them. It's not about okay. them. No, just, no just checking. No, yeah. No relation whatsoever. And I actually came up with that title before the, the van. It was, it was a, a title I had since childhood, since uh, not, well, high school, boarding school. Um, but uh, this was definitely my first book and my first published book. And I remember telling Billy early on when we, he didn't know my history at all because we sort of just dived into it and we were just getting getting to know each other. So he didn't even know if I liked The Grateful Dead as a band. I think from my letter, I made it abundantly clear that I, I had knowledge of them. But, you know, he didn't know what I listened to or anything like that. That might have made it even yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it, it, that, <laughs> yeah. If you it, weren't like starstruck, not just some, you know, wiry old deadhead trying to write a book. With yeah, Billy, yeah. It would never would have happened. <laughs> well, and, and I, I think I kind of, I, I kind of played that card in that, like, I let him know that I that I love the dead, but I also he knew him, he know he knew and knows how much I love fish and yeah. and a lot of other music as well for that matter. You know, I, I, I think that I, I played it well, and that he asked me at one point, it was either him or his wife. After I was already in Hawaii working on the book, but early on, like the first week, was like, "Do you listen to the Grateful Dead? Do you, do you, did, did you listen to them before this?" And I, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." You know, yeah. <laughs> I like Touch of Grey. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they they knew that I knew my stuff, and 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 then I was very well researched with it, but they they just didn't know if I if if there was 
purely professional. And then, of course, they 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 learned that it wasn't, and that my love and affection for that, that music is very sincere. But at the same time, I wasn't one of these wily deadheads that would be, you know, uh, the entire time just being like, "Oh, can 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 I just touch your shoulder?" Yeah. <laughs> right? You have an enormous love for the scene and live music and everything, yeah. but you're not the deadhead. Isn't necessarily your exit. Yeah, it's, it's, although you know, it's 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 still deadhead and de- deadheads and deadhead culture are, are still very near and dear to my yeah. heart, and well, still very, very, you know, it's one step removed by by identifying as a fish kid, and I and even just saying that out loud now, like I, I don't want to put barriers because there's there's it bleeds over and it overlaps, you know, and I can go to like Stolen Roses Festival, which I went to last month down in Ventura, which is an all Grateful Dead cover band festival. For three oh, wow. days, and I felt I simple you know, roads was there, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, and I felt I felt right at home, you know, mm-hmm. I, right amongst my people, um, and and so there's that. But going back to to what I was saying about early on in the process with Billy, I told him that that because uh, it's to answer a long winded answer to uh, was this my first book? I told I told Billy uh, one night at dinner, maybe like two weeks into it, I said, um, just so you know, you you you've now you changed my life twice now. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, the first time was in, and I, he didn't know that I had ever even seen the Grateful Dead at that point. So I said, the first time you changed my life was, you know, uh, in June or July of 91, when I first saw the Grateful Dead at RFK. Mm-hmm. And then the second time you changed my life was when you said, yes, I'll take a risk and, and I'll, I'll take a chance on this kid. And and so I mean, it, like, how long do you feel like it took you to sort of shake off those like, you know, I like I don't know if I should like quote like fangirl because that sounds like whatever, but like that starstruck, yeah, starstruck, like that, like fan, like was it was it fairly quick or was it you well, know did it take you a little bit because I mean you lived virtually with him like off and yeah. on for three years, right? Yeah, so I wasn't starstruck only because I had been trained for it. Because w- working with Rolling Stone and and so many magazines beforehand, mm. and being on the phone, like I I remember I was working for an alternative news weekly called Mode Weekly in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as as the music editor, which meant that I would interview all the bands that came through, including the bands that came to Hershey Park Stadium that that would do it. So I would go into work and pick up my phone, and it'd be Ted Nugent or Melissa Etheridge, <laughs> not not Christ. not people that I would ever be starstruck Jeez, by, but, sure. but nonetheless big names. And and then a few that I Phil Lesh was one of them. I I, I just remembered. Uh, and Mickey Hart too. This was years ago. Fifteen minutes on the phone with them in in a newsroom, you know, in my youth. I, I totally forgot I did, I did those interviews actually with them. But but I was, I was so I was trained not to be starstruck. However, uh, there was I remember the first day of going to quote unquote work in Hawaii when I landed and and. <laughs> Billy and his wife said, you know, come over to our place. They gave me their gate code. And I remember what? just that fact alone was so cool. And then going there, I took a picture of the gate outside just because I was like going to work. And, you know, I didn't share it with anybody. It was just for like, that was, that was my, that was the way that I was allowed to express being starstruck because I could, you know, in front of him, there's a switch that happens, uh, that happens automatically now when I work with anybody that is, you know, a celebrity, no matter, or no matter who it is or, or what walk of life it is. I, there's, there are so many, uh, so many situations that I'm in where if that switch didn't exist, I would be starstruck, but it just, it's automatic and it goes and, and you're just working with this person. 
but nonetheless, the, there, there's not a switch for being comfortable and a familiarity with the person where you can really be yourself. You're still on guard. You're perf- I think the reason the switch happens is because you close off your personal side and you turn on this work side or this professional side. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that, of course, is that it also hides your personality and, and you know, you can't be at ease uh, necessarily. You're, you're in this professional mode. Sure. And so with Billy and I, it was you know, I, I would go to his house every day to start work on the book. And, and luckily, uh, uh, surprisingly, he was maybe more nervous about it than I was. Uh-huh. And I just, I remember being shot, but it, it wasn't because it was, it, it was, he was working with me. It was because all of a sudden he was faced with, uh, you know, like you kind of make, you, you when you make decisions, like, am I going to write a book? And then, and then the book publisher says, you're, you're the drummer from the Grateful Dead, you should do a book, you know? So he kind of just, you know, followed that path along. But then I think when he sat down with me, he had a, all, he got cold feet about like, wait a minute, is my life worth being, you know, worthwhile for a book? Holy shit. Did he just struggle with like what to tell you and what not to tell you? Yeah. Like how did the extent of it? Yeah. yeah, He told me, uh, I, I, my, my philosophy, and this was where I was, uh, I had that professional switch where I got to kind of tell him, I said, listen, we're going to get everything uh, down on record. And, and, and then we're not going to necessarily have it all in the book, but we're going to get everything down. Mm. And then, and then we can take it out. You know, we can always take it out uh, if you're if you're uncomfortable because you only get one chance to tell your life story. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but but um, going back to the familiarity though, and, the, and when the starstruck were off, it was uh, he was talking about the acid test every day because that's a huge part of the Grateful Dead's uh, genesis. They formed because of the acid test uh, essentially as, as a band. And that's where they really gelled. And, you know, it, the, and also it, it was just uh, the perfect marriage of, of two, two, two elements, you know, you have LSD and the, the Grateful Dead. It's like, yeah. you know, but on jelly, but, but what we forget now is that it was the beginning of the timeline for both of those things. Mm. And, yeah. And, and certainly for combining them, was, they were the first. They were the first band to combine it because they were playing the acid test. And so Billy would be telling me this, and he'd be, and I would be researching every night, you know, the, the acid test and looking things up. And Billy would be telling me details about the acid test that had never come out before, at least that I never read anywhere in my extensive research that I did for the book. And uh, so I was sharing one example of that. I know it's your book, so we're going to well, get out. I, but. I, I can't recall offhand which one would be like one of the stories that he he just told me. He he went into detail about like you know uh, about how he got to one of them and he you know time turned elastic and he was and he thought that like the show already happened like he set up his drum kit and then took his drum kit down you know it was just you know one of those things that when sure. you're fun you, you do those those things but the the funny thing is is that I mean I didn't know him that well I think our energy from the very beginning matched in fact other people. You know, when they saw us by after three years, we we were you know uh, just kindred kindred spirits, probably kindred spirit, spirits all along. Yeah. But it was when uh, I finally said to him um, that we should have our own acid test and just yeah. you know get, get it. I was gonna say, how long and, before you busted out the bottle? Uh, yeah, yeah, me? yeah. Well, I don't know if he would have ever busted out had I, had I not prodded him about it because I and I think it was out of respect to me or he didn't know whatever it was, but. I just I I started pressing him on it and I I I you know he he almost kept on putting it off for one reason or another and so I got to a point where like and I I was I was nervous because I didn't know him that well but I joked with him I was like I I was like I don't know if you've ever done it I think you're just you know faking it and he's like that's it. tomorrow we're gonna take a hike and uh, we're gonna go to a waterfall you know and so after that hike 
and after the waterfall and and seeing rainbows and all that wow uh it psychedelics have a way of breaking down uh everything yeah. you know breaking down barriers and you kind of see the heart of a person you can see right through them i'm pretty sure that uh people uh you know like i i uh i'm pretty sure that I've on psychedelics. I've I've changed my opinion of people before. Yeah. I, I know I know I've done that, but even like girls that I don't know that well, and I'm thinking about maybe dating or like, and then I see them in this certain light, and I'm just like, nope, nope. not. I just, <laughs> it's, it, and it's not it's not beauty. It's the energy. It's like you know yeah. you see the person. Another lens. Yeah, it happens all the time to every every anybody listening that that has ever experienced psychedelics knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and after that moment, there was no way that I could ever look at this person again as you, you're the drummer from the Grateful Dead and you're a rock star. Instead, that's one of those, that's, that's something that's incredible that happened to you during your life. Mm. But, but really you're just this incredible person that, that, you know, that, that I, I find, a, forget all of your accomplishments. I find a deep connection with. And now and we, this is part of your life story, Benji. Yeah. That's freaking phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we broke down. Uh, it was it was walking out, taking a hike. But we were we were under the waterfall, mm-hmm. and uh, we were also you know with his wife, is the three of us just hiking. She was kind of our our uh, our, our guide, <laughs> uh, and sure. our, the, the north star. But we were getting, uh, we you know was, the sun was setting, and we had a nice little hike to go back up to the car, and it was one of those things where we kind of all were realizing that. We couldn't stay, and if we did, it might be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was in Hawaii on on you know on a volcanic hike with the Kreutzmans. I I, <laughs> I one I did, I thought nothing bad could ever happen to me, and right. two I, that I was <laughs> out of my element. We're angels just, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I remember Billy swimming on his back, looking up at, at the sky, going, "But I want to stay here forever." <laughs> We really do have to go. It will be dangerous. And then he's like, he looked at me. He goes, "Do you have any idea how how we get out of here?" <laughs> I, was like, I have no idea. And he goes, "Yeah, me neither." And he's like, "You know, Ask that could wife. be really bad. We could that just could stay be bad. <laughs> And he's like, "That could be bad if we don't know how. To, we we really need to get back to the car. I mean, it's it's imperative." But I. And then he just kind of looked at me. He goes, "You know, my whole life, I feel like I've always been in these situations where I don't know how to get out of them, and then I just do." Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he was just talking out loud the way that we all do when when we're in that mindset. And he was he was he was figuring things out for himself. You know, at one point he was, uh, as we're hiking, and he, you know he was getting tired, and and it was an arduous hike. And I remember him, you know, saying things out loud like, "Wow, like I I'm I'm getting older," you know, and and like you can see the it wasn't just like the joke of like, "Oh, I'm so old now," but it was like him realizing what that entailed when he was saying it. Like, I, I'm getting older now, and that that means a lot of things. Yeah, you know? yeah, and and all these things that go through your head. And so after after that, you know, we. We we were buds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is 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 Billy Kreutzmann your dad now? Yeah. <laughs> in a, in a in a weird way, maybe all along. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what year was that? So because because you were going into fifteen, we're gonna take a break in just a second because I want to roll into that one, and then we're gonna go into the fish studies. But like, what what year was that? When when was that that you that you did that with Billy? That was. Well, I got the book deal in 2012. Mm-hmm. The book came out in May of 2015, but in so in 2012 it would have been September and October of 2012 ah. when we when we did that because that's when I first went to Hawaii. That's awesome. All right, so we are going to take a break, and I want to talk about. GD50 just said Jason and I were there for that one and that was super special and you have a couple of things and I definitely want to get into the uh, fish uh, conference. So awesome! Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
All right, guys. So Benji is so freaking amazing that uh, we went for a part two on this one. So uh, join us for part two with Benji Eisen uh, next female centrics episode. And remember that we are part of the Osiris podcast network. So to check out more amazing podcasts, go to OsirisPod.com. And remember that also Osiris is partnered with Jambase. So if you want to check out some news and info on Jam bands go to jambase.com and um yeah join us next time around with female centrics for part two of ben jansman peace